welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we're talking about the mechanics of leveraging your house. Yeah, now, the only mechanics we know about. <laughs> basically. Now, this is for anybody getting started in investment property. If you've got your own property already, you've got your owner occupier, which you're happy living in, and you own that, most people get started in investment property by using that to secure the deposit for their first investment property. So if you've never done this before, you haven't purchased your first investment property, this is going to be one for you because we're going to get deep on how you actually free up that equity in order to be able to go and purchase that first investment. So this is one that Manuel can relax on today. Enjoy that shower, mate. You don't need to You don't need to worry about this one. We might have to explain that to the <laughs> listeners, but that's another story for another time. So kick it off for us, Andrew. All right. So most investors, as Ed said, will probably start out with not actually having a deposit in cash. They'll start out with equity in their own house. And that's just, that's just fairly common because I guess most people want to buy their own house. I mean, Ed and I have been a bit different. We, we rent it and go re- buy rental properties and some of the young investors that I work with do this but the normal people of the world go out there and buy their own house and they pay their mortgage diligently down over a few years and then they have a couple of kids and then they suddenly realise geez I've got $300,000 worth of equity in my house and then someone like me comes along and says what the hell are you doing with $300,000 equity doing nothing for you do something with it and that's why people can get what we often call 100% borrowing because of course you can't get 100% borrowing but you kind of can. You can get all the money to invest in a property using some of that, what we often call usable equity. So say, for example, you've got a house and there's 300000 worth of equity. You can apply to your bank to borrow the deposit against that rather than actually have saved a cash deposit like you did for your own first house. And if it's an owner-occupied property or a holiday home, you can usually borrow up to 80% against it. So if the value's 750000 you can borrow 600000 is that right? Yes, because you've got the numbers in front oh, of you. Oh, that, that and you've sold the bit that I was going to no, talk no, about. No, I wasn't that was that was purely coincidence. Oh yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. If you've got an investment property at the moment, you can borrow 60% against that. And if you've got bare land and you're not building on it, or if you've got a hotel unit, you might be able to lend 50% on it. So let's go through some examples of these numbers. Let's say that you've got an owner-occupied house and it's worth 750 k Original? What do you mean? Because it's the original number. Oh, no. These, <laughs> I wrote these. Let's say it was 750K. So what we would call your bank value or the maximum you can borrow up against that is 600K, as Andrew said before. So 80% of 750K. Now, let's say, you know, maybe you bought that for 500K and you've had a 400K mortgage at the time. You've paid some of that mortgage off. The house has gone up in value. Let's say your mortgage is now 300K. So you can borrow a maximum of 600 against your owner-occupier and your mortgage is 300. You're already borrowing 300 against that. So there is a difference of 300K. That's what we'd call your usable equity. That's what you can borrow against it. Now, what can you do with that? Well, if you're purchasing a new build, investment property, then you only need a 20% deposit. So you take your 300K, it turns into $1.5 million worth of borrowing power maximum. If it's an existing property, then you need a 40% deposit. So that means that you could borrow up to 750K for that purchase of the existing property. Now, depending on your situation and the income side, which we've talked about on the show before, your servicing, you know, you may or may not be able to borrow that full amount. It is going to depend on your specific mortgage application, which we're going to go through. But that provides you some rough numbers about what can you do with the equity within your property. 
The next question is, well, how do you go about actually freeing this up? And one thing that I, I want to say is, of course, before we dig into the details of how you actually apply for a mortgage and some of these things, because, of course, there are people who listen to the show who are just starting out and so haven't applied for mortgages before, so it's probably useful to say. Of course, this all depends on what's your house actually worth. And banks have a couple of different ways of figuring out what they're going to lend you based on what your property's worth. They might use what's called a desktop valuation. That's where they'll go to, there are two companies in New Zealand, either CoreLogic and they'll use the eValuer tool, or they'll go to Velocity and use the iValuer tool. And that's basically, these two companies have a whole heap of algorithms that try and figure out what a property might be worth. And if you're not tight and I don't mean in terms of it's not that you don't like to spend money, but it's that there is some room to move within your mortgage application. They might just accept that desktop valuation. But if it's looking tight, if you've only got 100k worth of usable equity based on that e-value, they might get you to do what's called a registered valuation where somebody comes to your property and looks at it and tells you what that's worth. And we're actually going to talk more about that in tomorrow's episode. We've got two really good episodes coming up about getting registered valuations done. But what I want to know now, Andrew, is cool. So how do I actually apply to the bank? I think I've got 300k that I can go and use as a deposit within my house. How do I get it? So often we talk on this show about split banking, which I think is really, really important. And we're not going to cover that again today because you'll get bored if you've heard it all before. So if you haven't heard about that, just go onto our website and you can search split banking. But basically that's where you use two banks. So in the instance that you're going to go down that path and you haven't actually found a property yet that you want to buy as an investment property, what you'll do is maybe set up the deposit facility now. So you're ready to go with your bank. So if you bank with BNZ and you've got your 100 $150,000 worth of usable equity. Well, I can't remember what your number was. but so 300000 $300, worth of usable equity. You go to BNZ and you tell them, hey, I'm, I want to buy a rental property. I don't really know what the numbers are going to look like yet, but it might be a $750,000 rental property getting $650 a week rent. Could I get the deposit set up now? And so what they'll do is they'll process an application for your deposit. Once you're approved for that, you can draw that down as something like a revolving credit facility so that the facility's there and you can take out that money when you do find the right property or if the property, if you're buying an off-plans or you're doing a build, you can take that money out when you require it. But you get that all set up, all approved, ready to go when you've got the need for that money. Now, just to be clear, we are literally talking about having access to 150 or 300K within your banking app. I know we probably shouldn't have to say this, but it's important because some people, like in my family, they'd probably be like, oh, 200k available. Oh, yeah, that's very Let's good. Let's go buy a boat yeah, for, 20, yeah, for 20k. I, I have had investors that I work with that have done things like this, much to my dismay. If you are setting up a facility for a deposit for a rental property, you'll really upset your bank if you go and spend that on a new Aston Martin or something like that. So please don't do that. If you want to buy an Aston Martin, you want to put that on your mortgage, tell the bank that that's what you're doing it for. Always tell the bank the truth. If, on the other hand, you've got a house ready to go and you're buying it today, or you're just wanting to do this all with one bank, then you can go to your bank and you can get a pre-approval for that specific property. So you can take the sale and purchase in for a $750,000 property. You can take the rental assessment for $650 a week and the bank will look at that and give you a pre-approval certificate so they'll draw down that money when you need it. Again, if you need to pay a deposit now, they'll draw that down, which we'll talk about next, but you can have the facility approved and then you just draw it down when you actually need to settle the property. 
So now let's talk about how you actually go about applying for a mortgage. Now, of course, you could go and get a mortgage in a whole heap of different ways. But the way that we're usually doing, the way we do it at Catalyst Financial, our mortgage broking firm, is we use a piece of software called Trail. So if anybody who's listening has used Catalyst, when you talk to your mortgage broker and say, I want to do this, they'll be like, sweet, sweet, sweet. We'll send you a link. You get a link, you click it, open it up, and you just start filling out your mortgage application online. And that'd be the same whether it's a bank or depending on maybe your mortgage broker's using a different yeah, type of- Yeah, often mortgage brokers, so as an ex-mortgage broker, we used to do a form and it was actually really complicated. Like the form was very, I remember coming out of the BNZ and the BNZ application was just a doddle to fill out, whereas the mortgage broking application was terrible. Very yeah, but that was back in the 1980s, mate. <laughs> Not that was terrible back then. You'd then. fax it off to the bank. This trail, you've used it, right? Yeah, I've it's used it. It's a piece of cake. It's so intuitive. You know, if it says that you've got three kids, then it'll ask you the ages and it'll ask if you pay childcare child costs. Yeah. yeah, all those kind of things. You obviously put the your children in there, mate. <laughs> Only the two that I know about. That's a joke, by the way. Just in case the bank's listening, there are no kids in there. <laughs> and would probably say about 30% of mortgage brokers probably use this sort of software, but nonetheless. And what was surprising, actually, I was talking to somebody the other day who'd never applied for a mortgage, and they were like, are you serious? That's how much information I have to give to a bank, because you've got to do three months' worth of pay slips, three months' worth of bank statements, six months of credit card statements, a copy of your passport. Yep. A Everything rough, apart from your DNA. Yeah, rough budget. You even have to put a rough budget yes. of what you spend spend per week. And of course, nobody knows what they actually spend <laughs> per week. Like nobody really I, knows. I actually, uh, so when I did a reasonably recent application to the bank, the new bank manager that I've been assigned to rang me up and said, you need to do a budget. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And she said, well, you have to. You're probably the like, only person just, who could speak back to the just bank. So, just so we're clear, I'm going to make this up. And she goes, that's okay. Just make it up. <laughs> but they need it in order to you know, run it through their calculators. There are minimum assessments, but we won't jump into that. So you put all of this in, and then your mortgage broker puts in the application, and then you wait a bit for an Actually, answer from the fair, bank. Just, just so that we're doing the mortgage broker's justice, they will look at the scenarios available to you. They'll measure up whether or not it meets servicing and LVR requirements with bank A, and then, okay, maybe bank B, bank C. Then they might play around with the numbers and say, okay, well, if we reduce the credit card limit here, it works now at your bank, which is where you've asked to go to, et cetera. All of that stuff, <laughs> then they put it in and then you wait for a bit and you'll get, eventually get your answer back. And look, the bank may not give you a no. They may not give you a yes. They might come back with some other stuff. Yeah, so often no. So often, what you'll... No, don't say no and I'm right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a yes normally because you're talking about a conditional approval, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's a yes. So Yeah, a so, yes conditional... Yeah, okay, fine. No, no so there are on. three options. It's a yes, no, or a deferral. So a deferral is we want more information. So, hey, you're missing a bank statement here. One thing I will suggest is you give everything up front because if you get through that 10-day process of getting it in front of a bank assessor and you're missing one form, they'll send it back to the back of the queue and you have to go through that process again. So make sure you provide everything up front. 
Once they get all the information, they'll be able to say yes or no. If it's a yes, you'll get usually what's called a conditional approval. And that'll be a letter of offer that will be very basic. It'll say, we'll give you 750000 like you've asked. The interest rate on a letter of offer means nothing. So don't pay any attention to that. Generally speaking, it will be the carded floating rate. And so it might say 3.74. And you might think, oh, that's huge. But obviously that won't be the rate that you pay. That gets negotiated later on. Often, it'll have a loan term of 30 years. Again, if this is for your own house, you might be paying it off over 15. Doesn't mean a lot at this stage. You just want to see that the amount's going to be enough for what you want to do and that the conditions are things that you're able to meet. And conditions might be things like supply us with an extra payslip or supply us a letter from your employer because your income fluctuated a little bit last year and we just want to understand why. We need to see your ID because we didn't have a clear copy or, or we want an extra copy of it. Those kind of things. And then if you get a no, what you want to be doing is having a conversation with your mortgage broker of how to turn that into a yes, if not now, then later on down the track. And a couple of other conditions that might come in might be cancelling a credit card or having a registered valuation. Again, we'll talk about more of that tomorrow. And Andrew, just so I'm clear as well, and for all of the first time investors out there, let's say that you've set up this revolving credit facility, which is like a big overdraft that you're going to take out when you've found the property that you want to purchase. Because you're using a revolving credit, you're going to be on the floating yeah. rate, which is going to be it's significantly expensive. higher than if you were fixing. So once you've got that available and you take out the $150,000 to go pay your deposit, is that the point where you then fix that for, say, a one year and you change it from a revolving credit yep. into a fixed term mortgage? So some of the larger investors that I work with might have a revolving credit facility of a million dollars, undrawn, and that's their deposit facility. And say they want to buy something off plans and it's $750,000, then they write a check out for $75,000 to pay the 10% to the developer's lawyer that sits in trust account till completion. Then at completion, they need another $75,000 to bring up their 20% deposit. So they take that out there. Now they'll borrow the 80% from a new bank and then the 150 that they've got overdrawn in their revolving credit, they'll fix that, let's say one year fix, 2.19, put it on interest only. And then the revolving credit limit reduces from a million to 850. So they've got nothing owing on that, but now they've just used 150 of that and then fixed it, and then they'll do the same thing again. So, Andrew, have you ever been tempted to spend? Yeah, you've got this big revolving credit there. Surely you get tempted to spend it. No. No, you're more sensible no, than I, that. I, no, I just, That's surprising I just, I to like me. property. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And remember, tomorrow we are going to be talking about getting a registered valuation, how you deal with a valuer. I've recently had it done, so I'm going to talk to you about the story of what I went through. That's a good idea. And the other thing I want to say is if you are starting out, we get a lot of questions from things that we've covered in the past on the show, and sometimes that's like 50 episodes ago, so you might not have seen a specific episode. I just want to remind you that we do have a living catalogue on our website. I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes, or it's opuspartners.co.z slash podcast slash catalogue. You can search for different episodes so you can find the ones that are most interesting for you. And don't forget that tomorrow night we have our webinar, our monthly webinar, where we are going to be going through the government's changes and the opportunities that are there for property investors. So if you haven't registered to come along to that yet, drop a link in the show notes for that as well, or just go to oberspartners.co.nz slash webinar.
listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. Bye.